Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. J.D. Romick. Are you sleeping enough? Welcome back, everybody. Um, I loved Kim Eppin so much on our last episode. I had to bring her back for another one. If you missed our last episode, we talked a lot about chronic disease management and how you have a lot more power over your health than you think. And we love having strategies and practical tips to improve our own wellness because we just learned in the last episode that 80% of our healthcare is really self-care and what we're doing on a day-to-day impacts our lives and our health the most. So we we got onto a topic last time of the top chronic illnesses. And, and Kim, welcome back. If, if you didn't get our, our last episode, Kim Eppin is here. She's not only a professor, but she's a, a practicing physical therapist and a pulmonary specialist. She, um, along a, a list of things that she's done, but she's a lecturer. She's very passionate about chronic illness, is a very active human. And and really, I, I align with you as a golden retriever as well, because <laughs> if we don't have purpose, we don't have activity, we, we're like, we get wound up. So, so I'm really excited to have you back. Um, And we talked last time again about chronic disease management and how we have more power than we think. So the things that we touched on last time are the the biggest contributors to our chronic health conditions, you know, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, um, obesity, um, cancers, and all of these chronic conditions, conditions, excuse me, can be prevented or rather managed with behavior change. And you mentioned sleep last time. And this is something near and dear to my heart, but but I also wanted to touch on the fact that our breathing and sleep are so, they intermix so much. You did your dissertation on obstructive sleep apnea. I'd love you to talk a little bit about that and how it ties in with this chronic disease problem we have in America. Yeah. Well, first off, thanks for inviting me back. Of course, happy to have you. <laughs> and um, thanks to all those listeners out there, if you've tuned back in. Um, and yeah, uh, two of the things that really do impact our health and well-being um, and our risk for managing chronic disease, whether you mm-hmm. have a chronic mm-hmm. disease already, we don't want you to think it's too late. Right. There are things that you can do to help improve your symptoms or maybe even reverse the process. So, you know, wherever you're at in your health journey, I, I think people need to recognize that there's maybe something that they can do. Um, yeah. And to empower people to to have self-efficacy in their own process. You don't have to be a victim of the system, but there are things that you can Absolutely. do. Um, and so, you know, that being said, you know, we talked a little bit about, we mentioned breathing and um, the importance of sleep in, yes. with regard to overall health and health resilience. And, um, you know, I, I think the two things are, like you mentioned, very interrelated. Um Sleep is important for our just getting regular sleep at night is really important for just our overall general health benefits. Um, it's a time when our body enters a state of restoration. Mm. And so what you do during the day, the exposures that you have and so forth, really nighttime is a time to kind of sort of assimilate everything and allow your body a chance to recover and kind of get ready for the next day. And yeah. um, it's good for immune health. Um, um, so you know, there are a lot of just general benefits associated with getting the proper amount of sleep. And you may be wondering, well, how much is the proper amount of sleep? Well, um, the proper amount of sleep was recommended by, I think, the World Health Organization and the CDC is that um, uh, for adults, you should be getting anywhere between seven and nine hours of sleep. If you're Mm. over 65 years old, I believe it's uh, maybe seven to eight hours per night of sleep. Um, And that's that's, that's solid sleep. 
Okay, yeah. so it's not just a matter of laying in bed at night for that a number of hours, mm. but it's a matter of actually getting sleep and going through the, the REM stages and so forth. It's quality and quantity of sleep that really yeah. matter. More is not better. Yeah. So um, don't think that you can deprive yourself during the week. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> stay up super late and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm going to catch up on the weekend right. and sleep until noon and get 12 hours Binge of sleep. Sleeping, yeah. Right, exactly. It's the same thing like with exercise. Yeah. It's the daily things that matter most. Mm. And if you can try to adhere to the recommended behaviors that have been shown to have, have uh, positive impacts on your health and health resilience, um, then trying to do those things at least 80% of the time. Yeah. yeah. If you stay up late one night, you know, is it going to, is it going to kill you? No, probably not. But if right. you do that repetitively over time, there are negative health implications. And some of those things are, you know, increased risk for cardiovascular disease, um, obesity. I can't emphasize enough the interrelationship between, um, how your body regulates insulin and uses insulin, um, and, and weight. And yeah. so sometimes for people who may be trying to lose weight, if you're not getting um, the uh, recommended amount of sleep per night and you're not mm -hmm. getting solid, good sleep per night, um, that can actually contribute to weight gain. So you may be doing yeah. everything. You might be exercising, you know, thinking that you're checking all the boxes of all these yeah. things and you're so frustrated because it may not be translating into the weight loss that you think that it should or could. And it could be that your sleep habits may be sabotaging all of your other efforts. Yeah. And so really start to think about like, what are your ultimate health goals? Once again, kind of circling back to what health looks like for you. Yeah. What health means to you, what health feels like to you and recognizing that sleep is one of the things that goes into that equation yeah. and trying to hit those targets. There's um, evidence out there that suggests that um, or shows that getting less than five hours of sleep per night for seven consecutive nights or more puts you at a 350% increase chance of catching a cold. That's huge, you know? <laughs> and gosh. when I think like back when I was a student, I was a student for many, many, many yeah. years. And how I, you know, I worked three jobs through school. I tried to, you know, and, yeah. um, you know, would get off work late, have to study at night, would get to study, I should say, yeah. <laughs> um, study at night and, um, you know, lay in bed. I'd start studying at 10 o'clock and yeah. stay up till two or three o'clock in the morning, you know, and get up at seven and, you know, repeat that over and over oh, and over man. again. It's like, well, how can your brain even function? You know, yeah. how can your, like, it puts you at increased risk for, you know, a cold, but also long-term other yeah. types of more severe diseases. So I always it, got more sick during midterms and final exam it, weeks. Well, stress, you know, <laughs> know, and that's stress management. Stress because, and then also no sleep. Right. Well, yeah. And so when your body is in a state of stress, especially whether it's emotional stress, you know, physical stress and physical mm. stress can be um, purposefully induced through physical exercise, because basically what exercise is, physical exercise is inducing a controlled amount of stress to your body and your body's going to need recovery from that. And sleep yeah. is a time that your body can recover. Emotional stress, you know, stress related to school, um, any of those things. So restorative mm -hmm. sleep is so important. And and we can we know the extremes of what can happen to people um, who don't get that restorative sleep when we look at some of the diagnoses yeah. of, of conditions that actually are formal disrupted sleep patterns, which one of those is obstructive sleep apnea um, and uh you know, as you mentioned, I did do my dissertation work um, looking at people who had obesity-related obstructive sleep apnea. So we know that some people who develop obstructive sleep apnea have a um, anatomical predisposition, possibly for developing the condition. But it isn't until their weight, body weight, reaches a certain level okay. where they can actually become symptomatic. Yeah, and then it becomes this vicious cycle of, of 
they continue to gain weight, their sleep's disrupted, then they continue to gain more weight, their sleep is disrupted, they're more uh, lethargic and so yeah. forth. And so there's this whole sequelae of things that can happen. Yeah. And so um, really looking at the physical function and psychosocial implications of that yeah. particular group of individuals and how important it is not only to address the sleep portion of the disease by using whatever their doctor recommends, CPAP or BiPAP or two different yeah. nighttime ventilation assistive devices that can help to manage the sleep portion of the disease. But until that part is is corrected, then you really can't work on a lot of those other health behaviors because yeah. your body is just not in a um, um, a state, if you will, um, a hormonal state or physiologic right. state to really respond to a lot of the other therapies that would be recommended, which would include physical activity, exercise, yeah, breathing, yeah, like even deep breathing exercises, um, pulmonary health, um, yeah, um, yeah, and wow. And, and nutrition. So I kind of went off like on a, a tangent. No, it's, no, it's fine. It just seems like a, a vicious cycle of it, things that perpetuate a, a certain issue that right. then and I, you well, try to mitigate well, with other things that right. are impacted by the lack of sleep. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that um, the, uh, the occurrence of COVID and mm. the breathing related implications that occurred with a lot of people, I mean, it was basically respiratory can, yeah. you know, a virus yeah. that affected the respiratory system. So many people that didn't really realize or didn't have breathing conditions before who had symptoms related to COVID, I think realized the importance of breathing yeah. and then having that taken away from them or having that compromised for a short period of time, or even some people who are dealing with long-term symptoms or people who already had some sort of underlying breathing condition who um, were maybe more susceptible to getting COVID and getting the virus and, and having breathing-related symptoms associated with that. The whole... Um, awareness of how breath matters and how important breathing yeah. is for our overall health um, really came to the surface. And me as a pulmonary specialist, um, and I'm also a person who's responsible for, um, I should say, given the opportunity to develop educational materials for different organizations about breathing and, and how we as healthcare providers can address some of the breathing deficits that we've seen as a result of COVID really kept me in tune. And also working with these patients and seeing some of the breathing patterns that were adopted short- gasping tight breaths, mm. guppy breathing almost, um, shallow, shallow, rapid breathing, not using your whole lung tissue, and then having mm. to re-educate people about how to breathe again, because maybe yeah. they've forgotten how to breathe and the virus affected different people in different ways. So once again, it kind of rose to the surface, this importance of breathing and yeah. how we breathe matters. Yeah. It's not just a matter of you know, shallow, rapid breathing, but using your diaphragm and, yeah. and doing different breathing type exercises you know, breathing is so important because we as human beings are aerobic beings. Mm. Our cells, every cell in our body really needs oxygen to survive and be able right. to perform metabolism and, and the yeah. things that it was des were designed to do. And so not getting enough oxygen into our system or under breathing can lead to a whole sequelae of, of health conditions and yeah. learning how to breathe properly and maintaining pulmonary hygiene by doing different things, um, getting sleep as well, all yeah. of that plays into optimizing the way our each wow. cell in our body works. Yeah. And so, you know, thinking about ways to optimize our breathing or even exercises that could help your patients or yeah. regular people. And I'm really curious about breath work. What's important? How do you train yeah. breathing? And um, you mentioned the last episode, and this was kind of what was striking and led me to want to talk about this, is that we even have uh, email apnea. You mentioned sometimes we hold our breath and, and I will be... 100% guilty of things happen or I get stressed and my breathing is more shallow. Sometimes I think I have the 
the condition of, you know, when you sleep, you actually hold your breath for a time. And I don't know if it's, you know, chronic stress related, but, you know, if, if people are finding themselves pausing and holding their breath, or maybe they're not aware that they're breathing, you know, what are some things that we should be doing to improve or optimize our breathing? Yeah, that's a really good question. And back to that whole email apnea term, this isn't something that I coined. Um, This (laughs) is probably good to clarify. I didn't know where that came (laughs) Um, from, but that's amazing. Yeah, no, this is something that I read about and really started thinking about it. Um, But we're finding now that there's health consequences associated with, so, so apnea, just for definition, means cessation of breathing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so whether it's sleep apnea, whether it happens at night, or email apnea, whatever you want to call it, yeah. just holding your breath, apnea means cessation of breathing. And usually it's for a, a you know, hopefully a short period of time, because if right. it's for a long period of time, right. then, that, yeah. that's not good. Right, right, so right. we need to breathe to stay alive. Um, but uh, people get so engrossed in what they're doing that they start to underbreathe, and we call that hypoventilation. Hypo meaning under, and yeah. ventilation, just a fancy word for breathing, if you will. Yeah. Um, so you're not really optimizing your lung function and not bringing adequate amounts of oxygen into your system. And so everything just kind of slows down. I kind of call it a, a semi-hibernation state. You know, yeah. you're kind of just slowing your body down. Yeah, I feel um, like I do this. <laughs> I mean, honestly. So, so, so that's good that you know we can talk about. So this is really tangible to you and interesting to yeah. you. And maybe there are other people out there that do that too. So being aware of it, I think, is the first step towards maybe making a change and realizing first off the negative health consequences associated with doing that. Taking breaks from what you're doing, maybe not spending so much time if you're if you're emailing or if you're yeah. texting or whatever it is that's triggering that shallow breathing pattern, um, or those you know, small bouts of apnea, what can you do to break that cycle? The good news is if you get up and move around or you just take a deep breath, like mm-hmm. just remind yourself, or you mentioned before that you wear some sort of fancy watch. That, yeah. My Apple watch tell has us a breathe about feature. Okay. <laughs> so if you have an Apple watch, it, it will ping you like it kind of gives you this little haptic tap and yeah. it will say, um, you need to breathe. I'm like, okay, first, how do you know that I need to breathe? Is this just a function of the watch or do you know that I'm holding my breath? And then it will actually do a haptic inhale where it kind of does a a tap, 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 tap as you're breathing in. And then you're supposed to exhale with it as well. It's That's kind of awesome. interesting. So there are visual yeah. cues. Like you could look at apps. There's apps on phone. Well, mm-hmm. here, we're telling you to go back to your phone when right, you already exactly. have email. No, but yeah. there are visual aids that you can use. And I use those in, in a clinical setting. I use those when I teach students also. Like if you're mm-hmm. going to try to teach relaxation strategies or somebody how to do diaphragmatic breathing, there yes. are visual aids that you can use or there are tactile cues, what you're saying. But yeah. that really helps to bring more senses into the behavior to try to help integrate that. And hopefully then that will translate into, um, I guess, a kind of like a Pavlovian response. Yes, of like exactly. Incorporating it more exactly. in your Rather day. than just kind of, you know, just taking right. a deep breath. But it's a, it's a very conscious thing where it, you're making a mind-body connection between those things. Um, you know, yoga, tai chi, like there are specific disciplines that are out there um, that people have practiced for years and years and years and years and years. Yeah. And maybe you've tried them. Maybe you mm-hmm. haven't. You meaning you who are listening as yeah. well as you as an individual. Yes. I've um, done them all. It's okay. great. <laughs> and, you know, different things may may appeal to different people. So, you know, maybe they don't appeal to you, but other things like your watch and how it gives you that mm-hmm. that signaling of, okay, I'm going to coordinate my breathing with this signaling so that it becomes a whole mind-body type thing. Yes. And it actually is a form of meditation. You know, you may, mm-hmm. and meditation has been shown, there's plenty of science behind meditation and people yeah. who meditate and practice gratitude on a regular basis tend to be happier people. I know. I also hear they live longer. <laughs> I'd, I and, read a study, you you guys will have to fact check me in the studio, like pull this article up is, does meditation help you live longer? Um, I thought it was an average of like seven years really? or something that if people meditate, I yeah. mean, it's 
I would say taking a break and getting out of your stressful environment yeah. because stress is so it can right. be such uh, a detriment. Chronic stress, I should right. say, yeah. can be such a detriment to our health. But yeah. that's another topic. Yeah. Well, actually, it's really not because if we're really talking okay, about that's health. Fair. What you do on a daily basis matters. So yeah. if you've got super high levels of stress, but then you're, oh, I got to meditate for five minutes. Here I go. You know, when you do right. that, and it's a task-oriented behavior. Are you truly meditating? Right. Are you really in the moment? Are you really buying in? So learning how to be consciously engaged in what you're doing, whatever mm -hmm. that is, whether it's your physical activity, the relationships that you're in, um, being part of a podcast, you know, yeah. where is your mind as you're doing things when you're doing your breathing exercises? So um, if we circle back to kind of how we we got off on this, it was, I, I think we were talking about breathing, yeah, email like, apnea. Yeah. Um, ways to incorporate more breathing exactly. in your day to day. And so, you're talking about these kind of cues. Right. So but. that would be one way. Um, uh, there's, there's something called box breathing. Um, this is a book oh, yes. and, and you I call know, it square breathing, but there box, you go, breathing, box breathing. Right, right, right. So I read a book on, um, I'm just a, an exercise freak and I've been involved in teaching exercise classes at health clubs for, for, yeah. <laughs> for years and years and years. And I used to teach this class called extreme legs and, um, <laughs> it was, it was extreme and like, seriously, like probably one of the hardest workouts that I've ever done okay. and people who would come to the class. Like, and it's those. like, once you overcame the initial muscle soreness of like yeah. getting through, yeah. then it's like, I'm never going to want to not go to this class again <laughs> because I never want to have to experience. No. Anyhow. So that that's a little bit too much overload. That's okay. <laughs> but anyhow, I had a couple guys who were ex-Navy SEALs who came to my class. Yes. And so they were telling me that that was like similar to some of the training they had done. And one of them, so oh, I was hilarious. like, oh man, I, I want to read more about the Navy SEAL training. So I got a book on Navy SEAL training. And yeah. one of the things they talked about was breathing. And I was like, breathing, you know, right. and here I was a pulmonary physical therapist and I've worked like, with patients with lung I disease. And, right. And so I started reading this. And one of the things they talked about was box breathing. Yes. And so I, so years later, I, so I, I kind of looked at that and they did it for more relaxation training, you know, yes. if you were out in the field and so forth, but it was basically for relaxation training and box mm -hmm. breathing is if you were to actually draw a box and put four on each side of that box, each side of the box corresponds with a different part of breathing. So um, you could, however you want to label it, but breathing in for four counts, pausing for four counts, exhaling for four counts, pausing for four counts. And so once again, breathe in, four counts, hold four counts, breathe out four counts, and hold four counts. I feel less stressed already. Is that amazing? It's amazing that it, they can do this in the most extreme scenarios. It almost immediately causes you to relax. You're focusing on it. And when you're holding your breath, you're not, <gasps> make sure you're not doing a Valsalva <laughs> yeah, maneuver, yeah. but it's just a, a nice calm hold of your breath. If you can't hold your breath for four counts, like I, like I said, I've worked with pulmonary patients and for some mm -hmm. of them doing that four counts is too long to hold. So yeah. what can you do? Maybe breathe in for four counts, hold for two counts. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's a rectangle instead of a box, but the yeah. concept of doing something where you're completely engaged in that and you're trying to slow your breathing mm -hmm. rate and if possible, breathing through your nose, because there are some benefits associated with nose breathing as compared to mouth breathing. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I did want to mention this book that I, I, um, I w uh, attended and spoke at a conference a couple years ago. And, and uh, one of the physicians who spoke at the conference was talking basically about the healthcare system as well. He was mm -hmm. at a point in his career and he was head of a cancer center. And I'm not going to mention names or anything like that, but he had been the head of a cancer center at a local hospital um, in our region. And he started to question like, what am I doing? Yeah. You know, so many people I've worked with, you know, we're treating them with medicine and what, like, it's not, 
yeah. it's not a long-term fix. Like yeah. what, what else can we be doing to look at a whole person? And so he really started looking at functional medicine training and, and exploring other things. And this was one of the books that yeah. he mentioned. Amazing. And I really, my thoughts were really aligned with him in, in kind of like, just questioning, like, what does the healthcare system look like now? Yeah. How, why is it evolved into the way that it has? And are there other things that we can be doing and that individuals can be doing? You know, right. I think about what is the best health insurance that we can have? Your health. So many <laughs> yeah. people talk about, well, my premium is so high. And if I'm paying this much for my health insurance, I should use it. I deserve this. It's like, well, sure, you can deserve it. But that means you have to be sick. Yeah. In a lot, you know, you can give right. your well checks each year. But, yeah. you know, there's sometimes when you do have to go to the doctor. But, like, if you can avoid going, the greatest health insurance is your health. Yeah. You know, yeah. If, if health matters to you. Yeah. Anyhow, with that being said, this was one of the books that the, that doctor had read. And so I decided to get it. And I sat down and I read Love it. That. And it talks about breathing. And I learned so much. But yeah. That's amazing. Back to that whole Navy SEAL thing. Talks about box breathing and this. There's a whole bunch of breathing strategies that, that yeah. this author talks about to essentially bring the our attention to the fact that so many of us are not breathing properly. And a lot of it is because of our behaviors. Yeah. You know, sitting at computers, mouth breathing, letting yeah. gravity pull on our mouth and not nose breathing, yeah. and the anatomical changes that actually occur with yeah. mouth breathing as compared to nose breathing. And so some of the benefits associated with nose breathing are um, uh, it actually can increase the tone. You're having to overcome mm. some of the resistance of your nasal passages to breathe. Also, supposedly, yeah. each nostril corresponds to a different part of your nervous system. Your right nostril is supposedly your gas pedal, so it can actually increase your blood pressure and heart rate. <laughs> <laughs> it's linked more to your sympathetic nervous system and your left nostril is more linked to your parasympathetic nervous system, which basically is your your brake pedal, which actually slows so your breathing and can be calming. So, so should I plug one side? Well, when so I'm that's really so there are some yoga breathing practices where they actually tell you to oh, do alternate no, nasal breathing. And some of those things are in this book. And you know, okay. you can you can totally geek out to all these different breathing strategies. That's but amazing. If we kind of circle back to what your original question was, are also, there also let's tell people what the book is. Oh, so it's, it's called Breath and it's by James Nestor, and it says the new science and art um or, or the new science of a lost art yeah i love yeah. that so if you're driving or you're listening to this and you you can't see the visual but it's it's a bright yellow book and it's just type in breath maybe on amazon it's a new york time times bestseller yeah it's yeah. amazing um, i'm very fascinated oh Continue. yeah but um so you asked about are there different breathing strategies yeah. that people could do to optimize their breathing now i'm gonna and... plug one nose and the other and... <laughs> well if you're high strung plug your right one so no <laughs> um no uh so you know breathing through your nose does matter it make it makes a difference um and, and that's under you know practicing these things under resting condition doing diaphragmatic breathing where you can actually sit put your hand on your stomach and and just gently kind of feel for your stomach to mm -hmm. come out as you breathe in trying to de breathe deeply. And then as you exhale, feeling your abdomen return back to its baseline position. If you're new at doing this, or if you're having difficulty doing this, and you can tolerate laying down on your back on the floor, that's probably anatomically the best way to learn how to do this and then yeah. move towards a sitting position. And then you can actually transfer it over into a standing position. Yeah. And that's called diaphragmatic breathing. Um, but there are a lot of other breathing you know, box breathing, the yeah. 444 was one method. There are so many other types of breathing strategies out there yeah. that go along with meditation yeah. to calm the body, calm the breathing, yeah. um, but also, and calm, you can actually impact your heart rate. For those of you that have yes. fancy watches out there, yes. you can slow your breathing rate and watch your heart rate or, you know, check your pulse mm -hmm. and see how you can actually slow your heart rate down and decrease yeah. your blood pressure if you're taking your blood pressure just by taking some deep breaths That's in. Amazing. So. Um, so back to the whole email apnea thing, 
if you have to email for, let's say, a period of time, and yeah. a lot of our jobs require us to do that, or if you're sitting at your, it doesn't just have to be email, but if you're sitting for a long period of time, once again, take frequent breaks. Mm-hmm. Physical activity stimulates breathing. It stimulates yeah. your breathing drive. So that in and of itself, getting up and moving actually um, causes you to breathe deeper and yeah. faster. And so, so is this going to be part of your tips today? Sorry, this is actually amazing. So this is a perfect, well, like, that can be a tip number right one there, tip. To That's take great. Breaks. You know, get that. up and move. And physical activity, movement can actually improve your yeah. breathing physiology by forcing you to breathe deeper and and faster, or just taking deep breaths, or by picking a breathing strategy and trying to do that. But I love that. trying to minimize prolonged periods of time where you may be actually experiencing those apneic episodes or near apneic episodes of yeah. you know, just breathing cessation or slowing your breathing, right? Uh, your depth of breathing. Yeah, maybe um, even convincing yourself or not convincing, but training yourself when yes. you're emailing to actually work Take on breathing deep breath. deeper. Absolutely, and, <laughs> and so make that, that your could, Pavlovian response. Well, I'm emailing now I'm working on my breathing. Right, right. It's good so, for you. I mean, maybe that could be like a, a, a anyway, yeah, a different kind of exercise. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and then uh, I don't know how much more we wanted to talk about sleep yeah. and uh, yeah. sleep hygiene. Yeah, you know, we we talked about the importance of getting a certain amount of a sleep, and it's what you do on a daily basis that matters most. So right. it's, you know, I have one of my brothers is an ER doc, and the shifts that he works, like mm. it's ridiculous. Twelve-hour shifts. He might work three nights in a row, have one day off, and then work three days. Yeah. And to see him and his circadian rhythm and how that, yeah. you know, it just messes you up. Yeah. But he does it. You know, he's learned to do that. It's become, you know, people who are factory workers or who work night yeah. shifts. Night shifts or shift work is right. tough. And so there's a reason why we have daylight and we have nighttime and mm-hmm. we have these natural what's called circadian rhythms where our body just naturally is in a state of kind of having yeah. a certain flow if you will yeah and so nighttime when the sun goes down and it becomes dark you know that's when our bodies start to release melatonin and mm-hmm. it's it's time for bedtime and so right. getting rid of those other lights you mentioned to me the other day that you yes <laughs> phone take your phone out of your bedroom you what are some tips keep, that you have so sleep hygiene i nerded out on this a while ago because um you know, coming out of grad school and being in school for so long, you do develop these really poor sleep habits and you over-caffeinate. So those are probably two of my biggest tips is, you know, obviously developing a good sleep hygiene routine where you keep your phone out of your bedroom. You're not exposing yourself to blue light a few hours before bedtime. Um, There have even been some studies and, you know, I won't quote the studies, um, but I will kind of refer people to Dr. Uh, Andrew Huberman at Stanford and Dr. Dr. Matthew Walker. And I don't know where he is, but he's a sleep researcher. Specifically, Matthew Walker is more of a neuroscience guy. But talking about reducing blue light exposure before bedtime is critical. So whether you're falling asleep to a TV, falling asleep with your phone, um, or just having electronics on in your room, there are some folks that completely turn off their power grid at night. I don't know that that's feasible for everybody or, you know, if the data really support like no electricity, but I think the closer to nature we are likely the more health, the the more our body responds to that. But I would also say, um, don't over caffeinate. So if you drink a cup or two of coffee in the morning, not drinking coffee into the afternoon, if the, it affects you that way. Um, some people don't really have a big response to caffeine or a big energy response, but uh, excessive energy drinks and, and caffeine intake is just, it's really can and be sugar and sugar can be really damaging to your circadian rhythm and your sleep cycles. Yeah. One empowering one, instead of, you know, take away all these things is actually getting sunlight in your eyes within like 20 to 30 minutes of waking, Oh gosh, which yeah. is hard when we live in the Pacific Northwest or you're somewhere where it's dark in the morning, but getting lights on in your house early on apparently is great when it's dark, but 
when you have sun exposure, get sun on your face for 20 to 30 minutes. That stimulates your pineal gland to help regulate your hormones and get you on a proper circadian rhythm. So and vitamin D. Vitamin D, which has so, been linked so important, right, for immune health and just overall cancers. Health, so, yep. Like I think I, I, I shouldn't quote the study because I will, I will botch it, but that vitamin D is linked to increased risk for for cancers and certain mm-hmm. issues that um, we haven't quite figured out just yet. But vitamin yeah. D is huge. Yeah. So um, I love that. I mean, I, I don't know what other top tips you have for I, sleep hygiene. You know, I, I do want to say though that if if you have a, you know, we're talking about sleep tips for people who mm-hmm. don't have diagnosed breathing conditions. Yes. And so I just, as a disclaimer, just want to say that if you've been diagnosed with obstructive sleep apnea, or if you suspect that you have obstructive sleep apnea, mm. um, if you snore a lot and, and somebody's heard you snore and you're not breathing at night, rec- recognize that there can be a sequelae of other health conditions, negative health conditions mm-hmm. that can occur if that's not um, evaluated mm-hmm. and it should be evaluated in a sleep lab or by, you know, by yes. a doctor having a formal sleep studied and then trying to get proper treatment for that to yeah. manage the sleep portion of your condition to mitigate other health conditions. So I just wanted to say that. Um, but for just general sleep benefits and breathing benefits, mm-hmm. um, just, you know, once again, I can't emphasize enough. It's 80% of healthcare is self-care yeah. and what you do on a daily basis has the greatest impact on your health and health resilience. And when we say health resilience, that's your ability to deal with challenging circumstances um, that can impact your health. Um, It's important for healing. So Mm. getting the -hmm. the recommended amount of sleep per night, practicing good sleep hygiene, breathing is Mm -hmm. so important for your health and doing it the proper way. And so, you know, there are are formal classes, yoga. We can't not mention yoga, tai chi, um, and other, even... If you play a wind instrument, mm-hmm. you know, like something like that, mm-hmm. or you sing, like all of that can yeah. just drive oh, your breathing great. process and it'd be good for pulmonary health too. So, yeah. um, you know, so those are just some, some tangible things that, and exercise yeah. drives the breathing response yeah. as well too. So, and can help with sleep as well too. So yes, I, I um, forgot to mention that, but yeah. Exercise helps yeah. induce better sleep as yeah. well. So. so, and then also talking to a therapist, if you can't get some sleep and you have ruminating thoughts and maybe some absolute mental health um components too i remember there were times where i would ruminate on things and it would keep me awake or i'd wake up in the middle of the night and then i can't go back to sleep because i've got a to-do list running in my head so that can be a topic for another day as well but um getting some of those thoughts out on paper with a therapist i think would be great as well the good thing about to-do lists are they're going to be there when you wake up. Exactly. So if you can just like put those aside mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> and maybe before you go to sleep, I mean, one of the best tips I have is to take some deep breaths mm-hmm. and practice gratitude. I love that. Try to come up with three things that you're grateful for. Yeah. And if you can't, then that is a problem. Yeah. You know, I mean, that really sure. does show that, gosh, where is my focus? Am I yeah. choosing joy? Am I a victim yeah. of whatever my circumstances are yeah. right now? So yeah. um, all of it ties into your overall health and well-being. So um, once again, circling back to you may have more control or more power over Absolutely. your health than you think or you know. Yeah. Like it's true. Yep. <laughs> Choose what health, you know, feels like to you or what you want your health to be like and try to take yeah. steps to move in that direction. Yeah. Wow, Kim, so. this has been super special. Um, we got into topics I didn't think we'd even get into today. And and I'm really hoping that this hits the right person. I think uh, folks are listening to this that are meant to right yeah. now. And so I really appreciate you sharing. Thank oh, you so well, much. Thanks for having me. Can't wait to have you back. <laughs> <laughs> this video podcast is a production of George Fox Digital. 
To find more material like this, you can subscribe to George Fox Talks on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Our team really appreciates your feedback in the form of likes, comments, and reviews, and we'd really love to hear what you think. To sign up for our weekly email list and to keep up to date with the latest episodes and publications, you can check us out on the web at georgefox.edu talks. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.